Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. The segment's brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Give me a call or visit bullrealty.com. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. And uh, some people are concerned about retail. There's certainly a lot of changes going on. Sometimes changes mean a lot of opportunities for people. So we uh, all have a close look on retail real estate. Please welcome my first guest. It's Barbara Denham, and she is senior economist with Moody Analytics, Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So uh, a lot of uh, people listen to this show for, for years and, and, and love to listen to every show, and I'm sure they've heard you on the show before uh, being with Reese, but now with Moody Analytics, Reese, uh, Barbara, uh, what's that mean for, for the real estate world? Oh, well, we're launching our new platform today, actually, and uh, it's really uh, an amazing change from the old Reese platform. It's almost like we've gone from a two-dimensional company to a three- or four-dimensional company. We have uh, better property dev uh, data, you know, not just deeper, but broader. We have, you know, by multiples, we have uh, that many more property-level data. Um, you know, we have a lot of partnerships, and, and you know, Moody's has bought uh, either a partnership arrangement or companies, and they're all filtering through one platform. So the data will speak to each other, either, whether it's Rockport Val that does CMBS valuation or CompStack that has Comp. But it's really the Reese data um, that enriches the platform. So you can not only just look up properties and do a lot of analytics, but you can do, you know, it has mapping software. We uh, have this commercial location score where you can evaluate a property based on all its, you know, micro level uh, demographic and, you know, things like crime statistics, things like that. It's a really amazing uh, platform that's launching today. That's awesome. It's in the, you can still reach it at uh, reese.com? Absolutely. R-E-I-S.com. Well, let's get into to retail, Barbara. Like I mentioned in the opening, a lot of people are concerned about it, but it seems like, you know, in the past, we've seen pretty good performance when you looked at retail overall. When you look back mm -hmm. at 19, Barbara, you know, what, what are you seeing for performance for uh, occupancy and rental rates? Well, I think the retail sector took a turn for the worse in the fourth quarter, for sure. One of the few quarters, certainly the first quarter in 2019, but there was one other quarter in 2018 where we saw negative net absorption. So the vacancy rate didn't go up by much. It only went up to 10.2 from 10.1%. But certainly any time you get negative net absorption, it's, you know, reason to be concerned. Rent growth was just over uh, 1%, which isn't great. But, you know, it seems like there is more stores closing in the quarter than opening, and it really kind of says a lot about what we might have to expect in 2020. Certainly in the last month, there's been an announcement of 125 Macy's closings. Forever 21 is being auctioned off. And there's concern now with the Simon Taubman merger that, you know, that the status of malls is certainly in the balance. Uh, so there's a lot to be concerned with. I feel like the, the clouds were getting darker in 2019, and they've really, really darkened now. So our outlook is uh, for a, a slight downturn, slightly rising vacancy rates in 2020, and a, a rent decline for the first time ever. Interesting. 
And Barbara, when you look at the market around the country and you look at uh, retail overall, I guess that's what you're kind of talking about here, but I guess there's a, a real divergence of some of the nicer core properties and then the rest, right? Like we're selling some shopping centers that are just, they're, they're doing extremely well and there's a lot of investor uh, demand. Is that what you see out there? Yeah, I don't want to under, understate that things are all bad. There are definitely a lot of retail properties that are doing very well. And I don't even think the notion of going out to shop at a mall is something in the past. I think people still like to get out and shop. And a lot of times they go out and shop because there's a, a merry-go-round there and they want to take their kids out. So at there, there are plenty of properties that are doing well. It's just the ones that are on the margin that are just barely surviving they might not do so well or they might get sold uh, partially, you know, as a development site or get converted to self-storage, things like that. So we'll see a little bit more of that in 2020. And certainly where these Macy's stores are closing, that that's something we will definitely be on as soon as that is announced. Well, that's interesting. And when you look at the various property types, Barbara, as far as strip centers and and malls and, and have anchor grocery store properties. Uh, is there a different story with the different property types? I uh, guess and no. I mean, a grocery anchored shopping center is definitely going to be uh, better than a non-grocery anchored shopping center. But, you know, there could be a Target uh, power center that is uh, really boosting the retail traffic in a certain shopping center. So it's, it's less about the anchor and the type than it is about location. It's really, really about location and the market uh, that you're in and, you know, just the, the in terms of just the income level, the job growth, and the ease of access um, in terms of, like, the density of the population around it. And you mentioned 2019, really, then uh, some people may expect 2019 to, to have negative uh, rent growth and maybe uh, a larger increase in vacancy, but it didn't, right? It, it had a 1% rent growth. You said that was in the fourth mm -hmm. quarter, right? Um, yeah. yeah, 1% was the annual rate of growth, and the quarter is 0.1%, Okay. even though we had negative net absorption. So yeah, like, you know, we've been reporting that a lot of different tenants are going into these retail centers, including gyms. Mm -hmm. A lot of gyms still taking up a lot of um, space uh, new leases, fitness centers, um, uh, trampoline parks still signing a lease here or there. A lot of, like, entertainment for families centers trying, you know, a lot of retailers reaching out to these types of users to draw, you know, families in um, to spend a couple hours in the afternoon so then they can shop afterwards. So there's a, there's still a lot of activity, you know, walk-in, urgent care centers, healthcare, yoga studios, lots of different service-oriented um, tenants going into retail spaces Still, this is why vacancy rates haven't soared. But, you know, you look at the, the retail employment numbers and you see a lot of negative signs. Like clothing stores had a significant drop in employment uh, in 2019, almost more than um, department stores. Um, so, you know, it's really that, that's a really good indicator of where we're losing um, retail when you look at the employment numbers. Well, Barbara, as part of the story, uh, inventory, you know, one of the centers we're selling, they're going to tear down all the retail and, uh, and build apartments and, and more mixed-use development. And, and, and you're seeing some of these properties that are, are going to other uses like distribution and schools and office. And, and we're not seeing a lot of new construction except maybe uh, in mixed-use. So when you look at the retail inventory, what's the impact there? What do you see? Yeah, I, I, you know, we have a lot of that 
tearing down of retail centers and rebuild of mixed use. We're seeing it in a lot of a lot of our construction numbers. So I don't have a specific number for you, but that is a very very. I mean, it's almost no. I can tell you how much actual new construction was built as uh, neighborhood and community shopping centers in 2019, and that number is just under six million. Actually, it's 5.4 million square feet. That's that's really not very much. Mm-hmm. For example, in 2015, it was over 10 million. You know, back in 2007, it was 30 million square feet <laughs> a year being built. So we go from 30 million square feet uh, 15 years ago to um, 5 million in 2019. So it's not, it's really, um, it, it, there's so little new construction. And yeah. it's healthy. I mean, that's certainly developers and lenders are not, you know, know what, what to build and what not to build. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a real interesting part of it. Uh, that's a significant uh, drop-off. And, and you think about uh, the economy's been strong as well. We've had good job growth and things. So, yeah, that certainly should be been helping retail on that side, right? Correct. So, so Barbara, when you look forward to 2020, you said uh, there's some clouds for 2020. Uh, is it going to storm? Uh, you know, how bad is it going to be? What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, I, part of me worries, again, because it's a bit of a slippery slope. If you close that many Macy's stores, you are reducing the foot traffic at those malls. And then when you would reduce the foot traffic, it was already light. So it's, it's kind of a spiraling down. Um, so I do, I do express a lot of concern. However, a lot of developers have gotten smart. They've put in things like, you know, ropes courses and trampoline parks within their malls and, and, and other kind of amenities to draw people back in. Um, or they put in like a nicer, newer grocery store in a mall. You know, 20 years ago, you never saw a grocery store at a mall, and now you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like grocery stores like Wegmans, for example, are, are going into a few malls here and there. You know, we, we just opened an American Dream big retail center in um, at the Meadowlands in northern New Jersey, and it's a huge, huge, you know, almost Mall of America-sized complex with a water park, stores, an amusement park, ice skating rink. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that is a success uh, center. Um, and if it is, you know, a lot of people will learn, well, this is what we need. We need to bring people in. Certainly there are a lot of water parks getting built across the country. Um, and I do think that even the notion of a mall, that has changed too. I think like the millennial population did not like malls, but I do really think the next generation, like my teenage children, really want to go to a mall. And it's so ironic, you know, how they ask me, why don't you ever take us to this mall? It's so nice. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> I didn't know you would like the malls. So I, I do think this notion of malls are dead is wrong. I do think people do want to get out and shop. They want to see people. They want to try on clothes and shoes. So it's just a transition period. And your children's interest in the mall, is that because the mall they've seen has more fun things to do, like the mall you mentioned? Or or are they actually seeing kind of an old-style mall and saying that? Well, they have the stores that they like. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain stores that really appeal to the Generation Z. I mean, like there's this Brandy Melville in um, Soho that really packs them in. There's Supreme, you know, also in Soho. Yeah, there's just certain stores that know how to appeal to Generation Z kids. And um, so if you just attract enough of those, kids want to go to those stores. Even if they can't afford to buy them, they want to be there because that's kind of cool. Like these, these um, athletic shoe stores, and, you know, sneaker stores really get a lot of traffic and you know it's just newer and nicer I, I don't know it's yeah. it's hard to it's hard to 
figure out what's in the mind of a teenager. But <laughs> some moths just have it. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I remember uh, tell people like it, like telling me they want to hang out at the mall, and I'm like, what? That that sounds weird. But but when you talk about some of the new uh, experiential, you know, some of the fun mm -hmm. things you can do, it sounds like it could be a new experience. It sounds like retail's kind of changed into to be more exciting. Well, Barbara, what would you leave our audience with? Uh, Related to retail, maybe uh, do you see opportunities anywhere uh, with the retail real estate world? Yeah, I mean, there's opportunities. You just have to really know your product. You have to know um, your base. And, um, you know, like I said, it has to be convenient either uh, for driving to or taking the subway there or um, what have you. It could just be one you know, new user that really draws people in, whether it's a laser tag park or, you know, an indoor playground. Um, you know, there's certainly opportunities out there. I would definitely not give up on the retail sector. Yeah. All right. Excellent, Barbara. Well, thank you for joining us. Great information as usual. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and Barbara mentioned uh, Macy's closings and some of these big boxes that we're seeing closing. Uh, make sure you stay tuned and we're going to have some really innovative kind of new ways. Uh, not, you know, we've all been talking about ways to use some of these retail properties, but this is something different you want to catch in the segment. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by the DNA of CRE. If you're a commercial real estate broker, do check it out, the CRE of DNA. Well, today we're talking about retail. Please welcome my next guest. It's Shlomo Chop. He's founder and CEO of Shop Fulfill. Shlomo, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thank you, Michael, for having me. You know, in retail, one of the things that's going on uh, that everybody's aware of, that uh, online sales is continuing to grow, right? And there's still a lot of retailers that are still struggling, uh, and we have a lot of landlords that are looking to fill space. And you look at the name of his uh, company here, Shop Fulfill. So, Slomo, tell us what you're doing that's kind of a, it's kind of a new concept that's kind of a, a mix between online and, and retail. Tell us about it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's interesting because you have a lot of incumbent retailers that have yet to figure out the digital strategy. And a lot of it, you have digital native brands that find it very hard to come into retail stores. It costs a lot of money to get in. They don't necessarily have the credit. It costs just to set up the infrastructure. It costs a lot of money. And so you have a problem where how do you get the emerging brands to get into the same space that some of these existing retailers are vacating. And I think um, part of the solution over here is to give them a pay-as-you-go option where someone absorbs the cost of entry, but not only that, gives them the ability to save on their existing e-commerce operations 
through um, what we call localization, where we cut the costs of e-commerce and give them the benefits of a retail store. So when you take e-commerce online and retail and store and you combine it, what you really get is commerce, right? Online and offline, they're just two different channels. So um, what we've done is come up with a solution where we drop down a fulfillment center in every market, which does two things. The first thing is it gives you product to bring into the store so the customer could go in and carry it out. The second thing it does, it cuts the distance between the ultimate purchaser of the product, e-commerce wise, and the fulfillment center, which lowers transportation costs. Furthermore, there's another challenge when it comes to e-commerce. It's called customer acquisition costs. How much you have to outbid the next guy to have space on Instagram and Facebook and the competition is just growing. Then there's another concept called lifetime value, which is the lifetime value of that customer once you actually acquire them. And we end up ha what ends up happening is that you spend a lot of customer acquisition costs, the lifetime value ends up being less than that too often, and then perhaps sometimes you have to reacquire them again. It's been noted that when you have a retail space, a physical space in real life, you actually get to acquire that customer at a much cheaper price than you do online. So by providing these digital natives with a way not to have to invest massive dollars to get into physical space and provide them a full suite of services, and also provide them a way to save on the e-commerce, then you set them up for profitability, you set up a whole new roster of future tenants for physical space, and the online offline, well, it's just two ways to sell, and they're both very important. All right, so it's a fulfillment center and retail for these, these emerging brands or, or digital brands, right? And where are you putting these? So our first location is in the South Jersey, Philadelphia market, which is actually very interesting from a location perspective. Um, so you have, when you locate in our fulfillment center, which will be located in Morristown, New Jersey, it's in a former in a mall. Yep. In a mall, former yep. Macy's box. Um, it does a couple of things. First off, from proximity, we can get next day for the price of ground into New York City, the Hudson Valley, Philadelphia, Washington DC, all the way down to the North Carolina border. That's a massive swath of space. And when we replicate that across the country, which we have plans we're executing on now, then Every single market has that. But you also have the ability to buy online, not just pick up in store from its limited stock, but you also have the ability to buy online and pick up a fulfillment center, which is at a mall, not an industrial area. Now, the retail location is in downtown Philadelphia. And this is in a project called Fashion District Philadelphia. It's a, a Pennsylvania real estate trust project. And it's just a great location from a traffic perspective. There's a train entrance in the mall that has 22 million passengers a year, literally yards, a couple, a couple hundred feet from our, from our uh, entranceway. So you end up with this combination of, micro, of local micro-fulfillment and retail. And then what we do is we then drop down a bunch of additional stores around the market. So instead of having one 2,000 square foot store in one market, now you have perhaps 10, 200 square foot stores across that market. They don't cannibalize each other because it's no longer the usual, well, I got to do X amount of sales per square foot. The company, your company is looked at on a holistic perspective. What do you sell online and offline? So we don't look at each, each place individually, although we're projecting about 20% profit margins on a store level for each of these brands, which is besides the point. So we drop down all these retail shops around the fulfillment center, give it a localization strategy, and we replicate that across the major markets, and pretty soon the country is covered by next day for the price of ground. So it's no longer the purvey of Amazon. You can, as a small guy with zero infrastructure, maybe you have zero dollars, but we believe in you. 
you could grow tremendously quick and cut your costs. Okay. And to start this out, you are leasing and, and shopping centers and malls, and, and what size spaces? So um, we have three types of retail spaces. The first one is our premier space, which this is the downtown, the high street retail, which in case in point is the downtown Philadelphia location, a great location. Um, then we have a local satellite location, which is for, you know, in, in the local markets where you need to be for exposure to the customer. And then there's also, the, so those two range about 10,000 square feet. And then there's the mall-based location, and this is where it gets really interesting. Because the fulfillment center is on mall, you can have a very experiential store at the front of this fulfillment center that has the same concept of, you know, what a Macy's or JCPenney may have, rack them high, let them fly, but you don't have a tough experience or, or you have much better experience than you would otherwise have over there because the product is in back. So you get the unlimited aisle of online with a retail space because with the retail space that's experiential in front and that retail space will tend to be a little larger anywhere between 15 to 20,000 square feet in order to put more products on the floor which you could do because it could interchange between the back room and the front and serve to fulfill online orders as well which one one last thing just to touch on one of the most important things in retail you know when you fulfill this is this is this is a great thing that I learned one of the first things when I got into this line leaving real estate um, is that historically when you fulfill the store what would happen is the manufacturer will send you a pallet of products comes into your warehouse you then break it up break up the cases put it on shelves then you get an order from store number 222 that they need a whole list of products the pickers then go pull those cases put them onto a pallet and send it out to the store if you're fulfilling online orders when the pallet comes in you don't take the cases put it on the shelf you take the items put it on the shelf it's called eaches so when an e-commerce order comes in, you pick one item, one item, one item, one item. So now if you're trying to sell online and in stores, you have two different types of product, two different types of inventory, and you're essentially, to a certain extent, doubling up. Because whatever you have in the fulfillment center to sell eaches is not in the same distribution center that you sell cases, or it's the same area, but separate. So you could end up being out of stock in one way and have a lot of stock in the other, in the other channel. What we're doing is actually making everything to be fulfilled each as one at a time. We're, we're localizing the inventory. If it goes to store, it goes item by item. So we have milk runs every evening with products in a bin, almost like when you look at Dollar General sometimes, if you have a, doll, uh, a, a family dollar, Dollar General, they replenish in the evening in, the, in these bins or, or the pharmacies. That's how we replenish to the stores. We don't replenish by cases, and therefore you can have one pool of stock for online and offline orders the same, and that's that's a key savings and a key benefit, especially for brands that just they, they don't have a lot to spend in inventory. Everything must be maximized. Okay, and if you're leasing space in a mall and it has the fulfillment center and it has the uh, retail spaces, how much of the square footage is the fulfillment center and how much is the retail uh, in, in the perfect world? So in a perfect world, we're backfilling entire malls, mm. right? So this is a path to go from a brand that has maybe 20 products, 20 SKUs, and they decide to put their top movers, five SKUs within the shop and have 20 in the fulfillment center, right? And then as they grow, they, they're able to add more products and grow from there. So the, 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 the end goal over here is literally backfilling entire malls, replacing those vacating big boxes. 
Today, our first location is at the 30,000 square foot fulfillment center with expansion capability, and the shops are 10,000 square foot each. The brands range from having space where they have four items on a table, two square feet, three square feet, to having 250 square foot shop in shops, even to potentially having a 1,000 square foot standalone shop that look, isn't within the anchor shops concept, which is our front-facing, consumer-facing store, but also have their own separate shop that looks like it's theirs, but we operate it. Almost when you go to the airport and you see a Starbucks, but you can't use your Starbucks app because it's operated by OTG or somebody else, that's the same type of scenario over here. So to the consumer going in an anchor shops that has this fulfillment center in the back and it has these retailers, what does it look like to the consumer? What's the closest thing to compare it to? So right now there are a few um, retail as a service concepts. They bring together a bunch of different brands into a location and those brands help each other grow. To date they've mostly been pop-ups. We're three to 12 months and it's done. They've been marketing expenses. There hasn't been a concept yet that has had stock on the shelf that enables the brand to stay long-term as a home base in that market for that, for that retail. You know, we talk about experiential, and it's important to have experiential retail space to bring the shopper into your store, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is experiential competes with amusement parks, right? You need to have something beyond that as well, which is, hey, this is my brand that I like to shop at, and I'm gonna go there because they are there, right? So the space itself is intended to have the brand have a home base, um, but also be co-located with others. The best example I would give would be Selfridges in London, which is a model that has multiple brands and they sell and probably the most successful, one of the most successful department stores in the world. Interesting. And so I would think as a consumer that would be, well, I'll use the word interesting again, because you're seeing a lot of different brands and you're seeing it from them in, in, a, in a very small area, so to speak, right? Instead of Going in Macy's, right? It's yes. Amazing. Yes, and, and, and that's why it's important to remember the shopper journey, right? Yeah. The shopper comes in. What are they looking for? Can they find it quickly? And it's not just about tech. It's not just about having a map, mm -hmm. which we have, to find the stuff in the store, but also to go to a women's area and have multiple brands catering to the women's and also mm -hmm. have it co together with the children's because that goes back to the whole thing where grocery market shopping center is the most probably still a very popular investment because the family comes together, right? And there's mm -hmm. other ancillary shops. That so the goal is to be able to have multiple brands that help the shopper throughout their journey and help them not only come to brands that they know, but also while they're there discover new brands that ultimately are those next brands that they know. So these brands never grow out of what we're, what we're doing. We grow with them. So we're, we may seem like a drop in the bucket, 10,000 square feet, malls could be a million square feet, but this grows rapidly, especially as we're able to prove out this localized logistics concept and some of the larger retailers who have contacted us already, in a general sense, can then come to us and say, we like what you're doing here, cutting the costs and cutting the infrastructure, not having to have these assets weigh in the balance sheet and where technology is rapidly evolving, where they join as well. So that's how we grow from being a 10,000 square foot store to growing to be much larger and able the brands to grow with us. And for the landlord's view of this, they are leasing the space to you and you're basically subleasing it and are your subleases more short-term and flexible I assume? Yes our, our terms are very flexible uh, but our goal is to have these brands there long term so whereas historically retail real estate has been a lease based 
proposition, right? How long of a lease can you get? What's the credit on the tenant? We take a little different approach. We say, what's the retail demand in the market? Can we fill the retail demand? If it doesn't work for this guy, someone else will fill that space, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is that consumer tastes are now found online through Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, but they're not found in the mall. So our bet is if we could bring those cool brands into the mall, and stay pure to that, not to get just any guy that has a brand that may not be desirable, but stay pure to that, then we're able to attract way more shoppers and that helps our landlords as well. All right, well, great. Well, uh, Sloma, I mean, that's a, a great concept. And I think we're all looking for ways to kind of emerge and how retail's emerging. Love what you're doing. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And if you like more information, uh, check out their uh, website. It is anchorshops.com. Uh, and thank you for being with us around the country. Please connect with us on your favorite social media. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.